this week. John Hall is otherwise engaged, so we have a special, much more glamorous co-host in the shape and form and guise of Andy Hayes. Andy, hello. Hello. Appreciate you having me on, Nick, to, to help out. Uh, well, I'm delighted to have you. Nice change of voice. People will be clamoring for me to step aside soon as well. Those oh, of you who've listened yeah. previously will know Andy as a founder member of, or well, the founder of All Boys of Indiana and now a long-term supporting partner at DeKalb County. We thank you for that. He was one time the commissioner of Midwest Premier League and he is now, well, not he's, he has many shirts now, but one of his shirts is a founder of Columbia AFC because our guest today is Zach Fisher. Hello, Zach. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going just peachy. Zach is the John Hall of Missouri, younger <laughs> and less lived in. But yeah, Zach is the chief operating, I'm going to call you chief operating officer of AFC Columbia down there in Missouri. Um, and I'm, I'm driving force of the Midwest Premier League, of course, and various different councils. But also the club has some interesting news coming out a little late last month, which we wanted to dig into. So um, we will. Zach, thank you for joining us. First off, how are things with AFC these days? Uh, how was last year? Last year is what we call, we're still calling it a building year. We added the, the, obviously the most exciting thing for us, I mean, the women's team. We wanted to get to a men's and a women's squads as we were building out. It was always one of the club's goals from starting out and accomplished that. Played a full season at PSL. Didn't win a game, unfortunately, but the girls were competitive. They stuck into it. The girls were at the, there at the beginning, were there at the end. Very proud of them. We actually had our biggest attempt of the year was, was a women's Thursday night game against Gallagher, which is the biggest soccer club in Missouri, who has just had a girl sign for a pro contract with an NWSL team and full D1 talent. So they fought hard. Depth was a little bit issue, as an issue as the year went, but pretty excited about that. We also debuted debuted at Columbia College in downtown Missouri, or downtown Columbia, Missouri. So that was fun. We had some uh, a, a, a much better setup from a from a field standpoint and from a uh, just a visibility. Players are you know the crowd is right on top of the players. You know, you're feet away from the action. Concessions, ticket booth, showers, all that kind of stuff. So probably one of the best, if not the best, home setup in in the Midwest, Missouri side of the conference in the Midwest. So really excited about all those things. Uh, we are growing from a from this from a visibility standpoint. I was just trick or treating with my son, and I uh, went through the neighborhood, and I was actually dressed as an AFC player because my son really wanted me to dress up, and I was lacking other costumes, and uh, actually had. Uh, Several people say, hey, that's an AFC kit. That's awesome. Look forward to going to the games next year. So positive things in the community. We obviously want to keep growing and try to try to do what's right for the community and uh, keep going. Yeah, it sounds – it's I, the, the Missouri aspect of it, like, is always alien to me. I try and keep on top of it. But, like, the Michigan guys shout a lot more than you you and your brethren do down there. So <laughs> – how was the, how was the season for the men's on the men's side? How did how did that pan out for you? Yeah, lessons learned is probably not starting the first three weeks on the road. Um, we did all we did two of our Iowa trips to start the season, and then we went and played Ajax on the road. So that was a little bit I think tough on the start of the season. I think lesson learned was maybe not have your two hardest road trips at the beginning of the season. The mindset with that was was to get them out of the way so you don't have to worry about them later in the year and have to worry about long travel. But that was that was probably my fault in that part. We played competitively. I would say outside of a, a bad half against Ajax at home, I, mean, I don't think we were necessarily outplayed by anybody all year, which was good. But, you know, you look at a 4-2-4 four, four record, I think we were you know, about as average as you can get. But 
it didn't feel that way. It felt like we were very competitive. The talent level was much better this year than it was last year. And that's not to just the, the first year team. It's just we had a lot more interest and a lot more people coming out the second year. And we're looking to professionalize some of the things on the club side with how we train, how we operate and expectations and learning some things about some logistical issues that we came into last year and looking forward to it. But I think we have a solid footing. How involved are you as Chief Operations Officer, for want of a better title, how involved are you on the playing side? Zero. I have zero involvement in the playing side, but I did actually play in the last game of the year. And that was just because uh, one of our guys had gotten injured and I was a a reserve sub with four minutes of playing time at the beginning of the year. But that was not not my specialty. I stay out of it. I don't coach. I don't play. I don't do any of that. It was a a necessity. A guy had a a hamstring problem and it was two minutes left in the year. So the emergency reserve sub got pulled in. But zero playing um, outside of that and that won't ever happen again that was a that was a game to the game to burlington iowa we wanted to make sure we had the league minimum of 14 and we wanted to make sure that we were doing things our way and, and the right way and probably could have avoided it but we didn't want to make sure he didn't get hurt but uh, outside of that no no playing no coaching help out with practices with just with the logistics of practices occasionally but that's about it yeah so that's the way it needs to be right for your own sanity You've got to have people that you can yeah, trust. Yeah, I, I I'll say that that will, that will never happen. We will never, you'll never see me play again. Now, if, there, <laughs> if there was, it was, it was, uh, what had happened was, was that with when Santa Fe, you know, dropped out of the league right before the season, they they were a gap. So we played July 8th and then we didn't play again until like July 22nd or something like that, something later in the year. So we have like a two week gap. Both teams were out of, out of the running and a lot of the college guys are, were starting to kind of go back. And, it, you know, it was kind of hard to justify to keep some of them around. So, well, we looked at some, we talked about logistics of seasons and how to lay them out. We're going to do that a little bit better so that we don't have such a wide gap in the season. And we don't have to worry about you know, a crazy fluke one off late on, you know, last week of July. Mm-hmm. I hear, I hear. Andy, you tried to do it all, didn't you, when you were doing Indy? Uh, everything but play. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was by far the oldest, oldest old boy around. I mean, it, I mean it's almost out of, a, out of necessity. And we've talked about that a little bit before, Nick, as far as like, launching the club or whatever. So, Zach, I guess the biggest thing, obviously bringing in a, a coaching staff and people who can help kind of manage the day-to-day of the game, the game side of it. What, what, what was the challenge in getting that staff built out? And, and how did that change year over year? Well, going the women's side, we obviously wanted to bring in some coaches that had some experience from the local colleges and things that weren't going to, they were not part of the NCAA. NAI has a different rules and coaches being involved and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So we have a lot of it. We have a lot of, we have some of the best NAI schools in the country are right here in Columbia, either Columbia oh, wow. college or uh, Missouri Valley or central Methodist are all top 10 programs in the country. So we want to make sure we had some feeling for that. As we were looking for the, we knew our men's coach from last year was going to go over the women's side this year. And we, so our, really our, our struggle was not struggle, but our really our, um, our focus was the men's side and that took a little bit longer than we anticipated, but we landed with Chris Miller, who was, you know, as a Missouri hall of fame coach, um, local, local guy, diehard Reds fan though, which is really random to me as a Cubs fan, but that's off topic. He's got a lot of experience, knew exactly how we want to play. We were, we were very organized as a team. He definitely came in with a mission, brought in Connor Bondre, who's Columbia college assistant coach. And then Brandon Russell who was, I was at Westminster at the time, but is at a, as a local high school told told now. So a lot of experience. Those guys know more about soccer than I'll ever know in my life. You could definitely tell that the the level of training had went up and we we're excited that to keep that going. And now is the, the trick is how to get over that hump and bring some silverware back because I mean, we're very competitive with everyone we play. We we beat we beat the we beat an MPSL club four one start of the season and you know we want to keep that consistency going as we go. Gotcha.
it's the fine margins, right? It's really annoying that you think you're there and then you just, yeah, they always just eat, eat, eat you out. The nucleus of your side sounds like was college kids still. Is that a long-term well, yeah, you're pulling a face, but is that yeah, is that more right? or less? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, we have a very good older contingent. Like uh, Elliot Goodwin's coach is the older guy. He actually played for Nashville SC before they beat turned into an MLS tide. So he's been around the block a few times. You, got, you have a uh, Jacob Moore, who was a, was a standout D1 player at, at at Oakland. Got Gershom, who's I think my age. I think he's 32, 33. He's a PhD student at Mizzou. Um, you have a, we have a we have a good core older older audience that had just graduated college, and then we have a lot of young guys, which I think is exciting. We have a couple of college freshmen, a couple of co- uh, college sophomores. Um, we actually had two or three for the first time as we talk about developing the club. One of our emphasis is on that high school senior class that was, you know, done because Missouri soccer is, you know, plays in the, in the fall and the girls play in, in the spring. So the guys were done and just playing the club is trying to get that younger high school, you know, freshman type or college freshman type age into the pipeline. And we did a lot better job this year. All right. Let's talk about the, the lady side of it. Year, year, last year was year one, correct? Right. Yeah. Was year that, one. Yeah. Was that, always, was that always the plan to like, I know the plan was to build out with the ladies team, but it was, it was the plan to do it that quickly from birth or did it just fall on your lap? Yeah, we thought we were going to be more competitive on the women's side right away, which is the reason why we thought we could do it. Um, in retrospect, probably should take another year, year or two to hammer out some of the minor details, but not, not mad that we didn't, not mad that we did it. We definitely learned some lessons on doing two. We definitely learned some operational like tricks that we're going to use going forward. But um, yeah, it's always been kind of, it was, it's always been up there. Yes. To answer the question. Let me dig into that. What, without revealing any of your secrets, that's fine. But what surprised you about launching when you did, as opposed to what the plan was? One thing we're at, we're at a disadvantage already on the women's side. Every school, every club that we played had already played in several years or was a large youth club. The two Gallagher's are huge youth clubs, one in yeah. Kansas City, one in St. In St. Louis. Fuse is a big, uh, has a you know massive complex too in St. Louis. Courage has been in, in uh, had been playing soccer for for several years now, and it was one of the better teams in EWS before they moved over to EWSL. And Sunflower, who had won the EWS twos conference a year before, so we were the we were the newbies. And I think maybe starting out a little bit lower would have been gave us a little bit more of a runway to go up. We went right in with the big dogs right away, and it definitely showed from a depth standpoint on. We were competitive in the first half for pretty much every game. And then, you know, those numbers just really eat at you, especially when you're lining up against D1 talent across the board at the other one. So some of the logistics of squad build out, depth, numbers, some of the things that we would have done differently on that end, it should be, you know, if we would have done it differently, if we could do it again. Was that then the driving force, or not the driving force, but one of the reasons for the the move that came over the this close season of the Missouri Rain stuff? Yeah, this, I mean, really, it worked out perfectly from a, from a competitive standpoint was there's a group, there was a group in Jeff City, a guy named Dakota, started as a training group several years ago, has a lot of the, the local, uh, local women's talent, they're training in a group together, they were, they were kicking out around the idea of, of forming a club, um, they were competitive and played a couple of friendlies, and they were looking to take the next step. And what we were trying to do is add some more beef to our, our women's side. And it, it was just really worked out perfectly, because they're bringing in the staff, additional staff, additional bodies on that side. They're bringing in a larger talent pool from from what we're doing. I think our girls are going to get along perfectly with theirs. They played each other in high school and college. I think our, our girls are excited because the girls that are that we're, that we're going to come back next year are excited because I think that training level is going to go up a lot from a, from a competitive standpoint. I think we're going to be a lot more competitive in year two than maybe we would be if we had to do this on our own. So 
marriage of convenience, both clubs are going to be operated under one umbrella, but each one's going to have its own identity. So I think that'll be good from a local standpoint of one's not going to be shadowed by the other, you know, that kind of thing. So I'll probably looking to keep playing double headers, probably keep the same thing, but uh, having their own identity, having their own support staff will be definitely helpful. We'll probably keep a lot of things that we can streamline together, streamlined. Hopefully that will make sure both clubs are competitive as we go into 2024. How do you see the branding of that work? Like you say, the two clubs under one umbrella, and I assume that umbrella is AFC. Yeah, it's, it's more of a mix. What's odd about our area is, so we're branded AFC Columbia, which is the bigger of the two towns, but Jefferson City is only 30 minutes away. A lot of people live and work live in Columbia or work in Jeff City or live in Jeff City and work in Columbia either way. So if we if we would want to do it all over again, we would have a, a neutral branding, but AFC's kind of been around enough that people are starting to kind of know what it is and it wouldn't make sense to rebrand it at this point. So the rain kind of allow both towns, which the women's staff has a lot more connections with, uh, with the Jefferson City, allows both towns to really kind of feel like it's their town and Jeff, people in Jeff aren't you know, saying, oh, why should I support a Columbia team? Because the high school rivalries are there between the two cities. So this was a, makes sense from a branding standpoint is we want to expand the women's side a lot, a lot faster and it just makes sense. Can you see in the long term one brand being subsumed by the other? Nick, we'll find that out, right? <laughs> We'll find out. If I had a playbook, I, I would know. But uh, no, I, th I think the women's side will be, we're going to be pushing, like I'll have rain gear on, we'll, and I'm sure the women's will have some AFC gear. So they'll be operated very close together and we'll be we'll be cheering them on and helping out, supporting their game days and, and vice versa. And I think it'll be a good good match and we'll we'll get things accomplished together. I want to lean into that game day thing. Like, How do you see the marketing and like game day operations running in terms of staffing and everything else? Well, you said they come with their own personnel, but that doesn't, you know, put someone in the PA room or whatever else. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think they were kind of like where we were two years ago. We have a really have a really good idea of what we're doing, but it also has has some significance of doing it a few times. And we've kind of gotten down the game day portion. What I think their staffing is going to do is add some bodies and some numbers that we can do more things with more people. We can bring in more of a hospitality tent area. We can bring a, a, a kid set up. We can do more with ticketing. So I don't necessarily see them coming in and, and changing the way we do things. I mean, I mean, I ran college athletic marketing or college athletic events for a living. There's, there's not much that we, we don't know how to do. It's a matter of, do we have enough bodies? And I think that they're pretty excited to really kind of, you know, kind of latch on to what we're doing, but also kind of take it to help us take it to the next level with, from a, from a programming standpoint. So like I said, the two clubs will be operated. We'll probably have identical game days. Mine is just the badge on the, on the, on the Jersey might be a little bit different and we might have two logos inside the stadium instead of one. So I think that'll be pretty much the main difference. Fair enough. Andrew. Yeah. I want to, I want to just kind of run with that a little bit, Zach and, and your like maybe specifically from your involvement, seeing kind of being involved with AZ Columbia, the launching both programming for men and women. Does this shift a your focus or b your time allocation between the I guess between the men's and women's programming? We're going to be focused because I'll be the president of the men's side and Dakota will be president of the women's side. So my focus will be more toward the men and their focus will be more towards the women. So we'll still have a little bit of split responsibilities in that sense, and that allow okay. us to focus on they're bringing in their own social team. You know, they'll have they'll be able they want to do some different things that we that we'll do. So I look at it more as. I, along the lines of maybe like the NWSL MLS uh, partnerships, especially like mm -hmm. on the USLC side with Blue City and, and racing, you know, they're housed together as much as possible, but they have their own uniqueness. 
and we'll, I think that will play out. But I think we'll definitely learn from each other and help each other out when we can and, and you know, advertise for each other. I think that will be a big thing as we go forward is trying to make sure that we get as many people in the door for each team. And like I said, we've talked already about sponsorships and how to like, how is one going to go to the other and, and vice versa. So we're, we're still hammering out some of the minor details, but I think for the most part, we're pretty excited to kind of combine forces. I think if anything we've learned in lower league soccer is the more the merrier and the more people we can yeah. get involved, the more we can get involved, the bigger we can do. And if, if, if it means our club can grow even faster with a group of people that have come in and, have, and are running the women's side, then let's do that and allow them to really kind of focus and hone in on the women's side and make that experience better. So that those girls are, are bringing home trophies and, you know, becoming competitive and telling their friends about coming to games. So it's coming, coming from the men's side. I think the men are pretty excited to pretty excited to have a, more support staff and to improve our professionalism from a training standpoint and from a uh, game. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I don't, I'm sure from a player recruitment piece too, uh, and not to get too too in depth on the on the soccer people, right? You got them running their thing, but that that should in theory help with the player recruitment to see the bigger atmospheres, the bigger staff, better training, the better training environment, and and see that continued improvement year over year, and maybe pull some of those younger kids you were talking about as well. So that's uh, that no, it's super it's super exciting. Is there one more question? I'll kick it back over to Nick here. For, in terms of I guess your involvement and in getting to this point with Missouri Rain on the women's side. Were there any big surprises in terms of you know how you built out the 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 dollars and cents side of it? Were this you know the build up podcast or how you built it out with uh with, with the focus on being sustainable year over year? That's been a big piece for the Midwest Premier League and, and its member clubs from our conversations prior to me departing that. Hey, has there been any big surprises or any significant differences, or is it pretty much consistent between the programming offered? By FC Columbia and Missouri, right? From the men, so from the women's side, just some of the way that the so the leagues have two different ways of doing things, and not to get too much in the PSL, just we've learned some things on the, some of the operational standpoints that the women were expectation, the men are expectation. The, they're they're not as different as people I think think they are. I think the okay. National League women's and the regional men's are 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 mostly the same. Um, maybe the support staff of a National League sometimes can be helpful, but I, there's also times where being able to call it the president of, of the Midwest Premier League and say, hey, what's going on with this? Is, is awesome. <laughs> so each one has its benefits and drawbacks. And we, we've kind of gone to this mantra of, you know, yes, the men's have really been hyper-focused on regional success and, and growing the regional league and, and doing that kind of stuff. I think the player mindset is different between that group and the women's group. And I think that's... Okay. It's just different. It's hard to explain. It's, they just have two different ways of doing things. And the girls, the girls' competitiveness and the men's competitiveness, they're, they're, they're both very competitive and they just have different reasons to being out there. Gotcha. No, understood. I, yeah, just that was a long-term plan that we we never really got to at Old Boys and to see both DeKalb do it and, and how you guys do it as well. Pretty awesome uh, to, to see from, I guess, from, a, I guess the, from afar. So kudos to that. I just curious if there was anything significantly uh, different between the two, but sounds again, like just maybe from a player profile per perspective. Yeah, and, and just allocating resources, training times. We train, they trained on different nights last year. One was on Monday, Wednesday, one was Tuesday, Thursday. You also have to think about it from like, we, we try to, to post regular updates of every game, like who scored when they scored game day graphics. So we were trying to send two people, one to the women's game, one to the men's game, not for weight for travel. Also, like I, I try to help out with transporting any vans or anything like that. If you're going to different places, you can't physically do that. So 
we tried to play in the same city in the same days, but you know, with two different league setups from a from a standpoint, it's not really possible. So definitely harder on logistics. But we did a pretty good job of having we had three or four double headers, or we had four double headers, and then each team had their own one off game. So um, okay. those were those worked out. We I think we did a really good job keeping them together as much as we could. One of the things I really wanted them to do was train together, really make it a, a one club, one mindset. But it just from schedules and volunteers and stuff, it didn't work out. So, but it ended up working out for everyone. You spoke about when you were talking about the men, like your two longest trips were way up to the land that time forgot. But what's the um, the women's journey times like? The women didn't leave the state of Missouri all year. Their longest travel was an hour and 45 minutes. Wow. So, which it, for us, I know some of the Chicago teams are probably golfing it traveling an hour yeah our our men traveled by far the most in any of the league i mean we've made two four and a half hour trips and then another three and a half hour trip for our three of our five away games our women physically did not leave the state of missouri because the kansas teams the two kansas the three kansas city teams all actually played their home games in in missouri which is on the missouri side of the line so they did not leave it's a straight shot either you're going west on i-70 or east on i-70 that was the both all the complexes are right off the right off the right off the freeway so it's pretty easy travel for them and hopefully we can get to that on the men's side which is hopefully as we grow and as we get more expansion teams in the midwest premier league that will be a, a regular thing for the men and that will help with some of the uh some of the rigors of trying to play 12 games in 10 weeks basically yeah you're a, you're a little bit of an outpost down there aren't you again without portraying any competences are you aware of clubs showing an interest for the, in, the, in the midwest prem yeah, I think I think as we grow, I mean, one of the odd things about us is, you know, they say it's the state of soccer and they say it's a big soccer thing down here. But I mean, St. Louis has, I think, four, four teams at this level and Chicago has 30, something like that. So that game, that, that part of the game hasn't really grown this way. And it's something that once we've done it, other teams have now started popping up and have helped out and stuff. So we've had there's interest and there's I think I think hopefully we'll have a, a six member group just in our area and it'll be helpful to. To see what that looks like and build rivalries with them because anything i know about our boys is they love the rivalries with st louis so if we can keep that going that'll be good for us and no one must be traveling four and a half hours either right if you can get 17 around you and never go north you're laughing. You, know, you know nick I, I have a hard time feeling sorry for clubs that traveled an hour and complain about it once that's all i'll say no I, i'm with you for those of you those people who haven't been stalking zach on linkedin as well his day job is you've also been on the podcast before because of his day job you work in collegiate athletics correct Zach? I work, uh, yeah, not directly in it, but as a supporting industry, yeah. Okay, fair enough. But you're aware of it. When we got you on, it was to talk directly about name image likeness and the changes that were happening there. Yeah, it was one, one of our more popular. So it goes on. So, so every day part of the job there, Nick. <laughs> um, now the, the dust has settled a little bit on that. From the top level and the, 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 quote, proper college athletes that you deal with, have you seen an impact on them? And then from the from your columbia point of view as well like are you seeing lower grade athletes being able to benefit or not from it yeah you i think you're doing you're finding that entrepreneurs will find a way i think some of the the bigger college athletes have have done well and they've gotten deals and the colleges have done a really good job of finding them deals for them whether that's through their collectives or through their whether it's through their agents or whatever that is. And I think that's always going to be the case. I don't think the deals are as big as everyone thinks they are. 
I, I can't imagine some of the deals that you see and you're like, that's probably not true. But I also think you see, like I went to Mizzou soccer. They have two, two of their girls jerseys in, in, the, in the shop there. That's pretty common, even in soccer, to have a couple of the players in, in venue. And those numbers aren't going to be huge numbers. You're never going to see 800 jerseys of a girl unless she's like a Caitlin Clark over at Iowa where she just sells as many jerseys as they can physically print for her. So it's a matter of, it was probably not as big as everyone thought it was. It's probably not as small as everyone thinks some people would love it to be. So there's kind of a middle ground. I think athletes that are good about keeping their social media clean, about going out and finding deals for themselves are still finding those. And I think it's becoming, I think that's what the true intent was. And I think some of the bigger athletes are, are probably not making as much money through NIL as they are through those collectives anymore. I think that's probably what's happening from a, from a general, general standpoint. That's interesting. Interesting. Are you aware of people coaching athletes in that regard? Like the, the natural athletes have the athletic and the physical prowess, but they don't have the necessarily the acumen to curate their social media profiles. Is that industry growing as well to focus on that are you talking about helping athletes with their their branding yeah yeah there's there's schools out there that will help i mean every school has an nil person now helping you guide every all the big ones at least will have a guy person helping you guide this is what you should do to make yourself more attractable to to businesses and and you talk about poaching like there's one thing that's getting clear is that schools with more money are poaching school athletes from other schools they're simply going kids are going into the portal getting the best offer from a school is either nil collective or whatever it is and they're they're, they're, they're going on up. And I think that's in some cases that's good because players were probably under recruited out of high school or weren't given a fair shake. And I think sometimes it's bad because I think a player can, there's no accountability. Sometimes if a player just wants to leave, he can leave and there's not really holding much. I think that's the NCAAs come around in the last few months and said, we're going to stop letting people transfer 15 times before they get penalized. And I think it's all something starting to come back into one group. Do you see a shift possibly in, in some of these summer you know, Midwest Premier League being one, or, or for, for men or, or women, a, an adjustment to the the roster limits from some of the players playing to keep their skills sharp for the, f- the upcoming fall season, or or is that kind of way yeah. way down the line? Yeah, I think lower league soccer is kind of where it is, is where it's going to be. I don't, I can't imagine too much changing with NIO doesn't really it doesn't really impact too many of these kids here. I, I think I think you'll see is maybe like the Indiana soccers of the world or the you know some of the bigger ones maybe getting poached by some some of the bigger clubs in in lower league soccer and going places but i think that was already happening i don't really think nil's changed really changed lower league soccer all that much gotcha i think if people were funneling money to a player one way they were already doing it just finding more legal ways of doing it now fair enough (laughs) is it is it possible that colleges are looking at people's social media following as a one of the elements in terms of their recruiting, like you say, people are transferring. Are they are they being wooed because they've got more more Insta followers than someone else? No, they're just going finding the best players and saying, "Well, I'll offer you NIO money if to come here." Gotcha. They can't officially say that, but that's what they're doing. That's, oh. They're not doing it. Their collectives are doing it. And said, "Hey, we'll we'll hook you up with this amount of money each month. These are the deals that you have to do to do it." And off you go. I mean. You look at FBS college football nowadays, and you see all these FCS and D2 players moving up that were great players and how they're coming to certain teams with bigger NIL collectives. It's, it's not because they were they wanted to go there probably. It's because that was the most money that was offered, and that's kind of how these things work these days. Money talks. 
yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. All right. What's 2024 look like for you from, from the men's side and from the ladies' side, but also from on top of like, what's, what's the plan? Yeah, our big focus this offseason into next is going to be our game day environment. We we're we were close. We really need to hit home on some hospitality, some fan engagement stuff with bounce houses and things like that. And it seems simple, but having the amount of bodies to do that will be a big difference this year. That's what I think the public facing you'll see. I think we need a better job on social media with more more videos, more engagement, really a focus on our game day streaming. There's a, there's a few things that are on the professionalism side. And then from a training standpoint and a roster standpoint is expectations are going to be higher this year. We've, we've had two years to figure out where we are and who we are. And, and now the expectation is, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're here to win. And the expectations for the squad are going to be a little bit more strict this year and how we do things and the way we play. We Two years in a row, we've, we haven't had a game where our starting 11 were all there at one in one week, which is nuts to me. Now, in fairness, some of the guys, some of that's due to injury or you know whatnot, but we have not had our starting eleven out there, and I think if we put them all on the field at the same time, we're probably favorites to win the league. With all respect, to Ajax is a great club and a great group of guys, and very competitive and very feisty on the field. And that is, we're looking at different ways we're training, different ways we're presenting ourselves, and we're going to have standards. And if you can't meet the standards, it's not the club for you, and we'll move on. But I think we're trying to take that next step, and I think the clubs that do that very well have already established that. We're just we're uh, starting to implement that now. I have to say, I, did, I, ca- I caught a little bit of YouTube footage or some sort of footage of action from your new home. Yeah, it looks proper sweet. It, they, they, the, the bleachers are the right size, and I'm not having a pop at attendance figures. I just mean they're genuinely the right size and the space and the crowds there within touching distance. It looks legit. We, we probably... We pride ourselves in not being a club that you're going to show up to a field and have two bleachers on the side and they roll the ball out there. That's if we would not be doing this if that was the initiative. Our goal is to build a sustainable long-term club that the community can support. So, and not to say that clubs are doing that, just that's the mindset and that's great. We just have a different one. Our mindset is to try to try to do it differently and to grow something. And our goal attendance for next year is 500 a game. If we can get to 500 a game, that's that's pretty good from a tennis standpoint. We're probably Probably low twos again this year, which is kind of frustrating because the women had probably 350, somewhere around there for their first game and it did really well. Night games, playing more night games. And it's really hard when you're traveling three and a half hours to tell a team, hey, our kickoff is until seven o'clock because they're not getting home until one or two. But I think I think next year we're going to be pretty stringent on not kicking the ball before five o'clock. So just played way too many day games where it's 100 degrees out in Missouri at one o'clock on a, on a Saturday. And I think that really impacted attendance as we heard a lot of people say, yeah, we'd love to go, but it's going to be pretty hot outside and you're playing on a turf field. So mm-hmm. not, not just that, but from a player safety standpoint, our night games are a lot more fun. The guys were way more into it. You're not, they're not worried about overheating and, and dying exhaustion. So things to think about. Night games are just way better. They just are. It's a fact. Yeah. When you're, when you're away team going an hour away, you can do whatever you want. When the away team is four and a half hours away, it's, you try to you try to do what's in the best interest of all, but I think sometimes we got to start being a little bit more selfish from a from a standpoint when we're trying to put four or five hundred people in the door. Home field advantage, isn't it? That's what it's you got to you got to play the cards at some point. Sometimes. <laughs> all right, Andy. Anything else? You, you mentioned early on, Zach. We were talking about the scheduling challenges and having that gap. And I and I don't know. I mean, again, we've got in the Miller's Premier League. It, you you're doing. 10, 10 matches over what could be you know, 14 or 15 weeks. So there's bound to have some of that pop up. I guess two, in, in I guess kind of following up on the, the night kickoffs, night, night game kickoffs, is there any 
anything you've learned over the last couple of seasons of, of pulling those schedules together that you you again not to share the secret sauce here on the on this, but anything you've you've learned from others or just going through it yourself to kind of look in ahead and plan. Yeah, so we 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 look at both of wins. So I think the league is going to be scheduling at the convention this year, which is a, a change of pace from when we kind of just kind of put together together ourselves. They uh, schedule ourselves. We basically made our our men's schedule kind of mirror our women's because our women's had scheduled first, and we wanted to play double headers. So that was kind of hey, we knew our home dates, and we kind of were aggressive and went out there and got our home dates as, as quickly as we could. Yeah, with the way that the college players get in early May, it's really hard to be on the road three straight weeks and right. really kind of get those in. So we, I think we'll probably go more night games. We'll try to play at least one or two at home to start the year. I think we played much better at home, I think, as everyone does, than we, than we do on the road. So I think getting a – we did start the year against an MPSL club and a friendly at offsite here in Columbia. But I think getting that in, getting some momentum behind the club early, I think we thought, well, you know, graduation and stuff, we don't want people worried about Mizzou Athletics who can play into May. We didn't want to compete with them. So we're like, we'll schedule more June and July heavy. And I, I think that our crowd's going to come regardless of Mizzou's playing or not. I think that's just kind of soccer crowd here. Uh, there's not too many baseball fans and softball fans in Columbia that are going to be diehard Mizzou baseball fans. I think that we look at it from a, we need more balanced scheduling. We not need to start. I think when you lose all three away games and you're like, well, that's rough way to start the season. Now you have to come back at home and make those points up. I'd, I'd like to balance it out. So we have a little bit more stability up front and give our players a little bit more to go after. No, it makes sense. I know people don't like to say this. Referees on the road in Iowa are a lot different than referees at home in Columbia. That's all I'm going to say about that one. <laughs> I think we're both picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> and I think and it is it is a challenge. I think also uh, just based on my experience with the clubs and, and the distance traveled, if if you drop that many points early on in the season and you're you're at a point where you you have to kind of bat a thousand so to speak, pardon that expression. And the balance of the season, you get to a point where you, you, there's nothing there to compete for. The guys are going to make the decision, and, and women too, possibly, to make the decision to say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to get healthy for my fall se- fall season." And you have some drop out there, some attrition. Well, that, that is a challenge. Yeah, we also look at it this way from a scheduling standpoint. Like we don't play on Memorial Day weekend. We just have it. We haven't played in two years. We won't play next year. We're, we'll, we'll find a different date for that. And we don't play the four of the four with the way the fourth of July ended midweek kind of had like two weekends where you weren't really trying. We, we really tell them, Hey, try to miss one game. If you can miss one game, that's fine. We'll, we'll figure the rest mm-hmm. of them out. But the way that the holidays were, what really impacted us early in the season was we had a ton of kids graduating college. So that weekend, that very first weekend, they're graduating. I'm not telling a kid, Hey, sorry, you can't, when you go play this lower league soccer game, you can't go graduate. You know, right. we, had, we had, we had two guys actually drive to one of the guys graduation Saturday morning and then drive to the game. So it's not because they want to be there. It's because they physically can't. And you're t- so you take that pool of graduating kids and then you take your cool, your, your guys that are still, kind of tied to finals or whatever and then you're you're taking a group of hey i physically can't go to iowa i have a day job the next day or you know friday night where so that pool just comes really small so you're 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 kind of putting yourself in disservice there when you're going four hours away and you're trying to take your best 11 but you're really kind of torn so if you can play at home most of those guys can probably be there most of those guys can probably play at a five o'clock after graduation they're happy to do so and they're fired up to be there 
So yeah. it might make sense from a, a scheduling standpoint to skew earlier in the season and, and, and then move those away games into June and, and that kind of stuff. But we'll see how it all shakes out. That's I think our, our mindset is learning some of that. I would say the biggest thing we learned, and I know lower league clubs probably handle this all completely differently, and I'm open to suggestions from, from either of you two, is we have a great partner in Hummel, but we pressed all of our own jerseys last year. We pressed all of our own numbers, all of our sponsor logos. We did all that ourselves. I think we're looking into next year ordering that all through Hummel, all pre-printed, all that kind of stuff. All a guy has to do is go in and, and type their stuff in because the amount of logistical work to put two teams on the on the field and printing their own jersey. Each player buys their own jersey, buy their own shorts, and get all their own gear. Which is a logistical nightmare, and I think it's something we're we're looking forward to adjusting for next year so that it's less stress on our staff because that was that was a handful, way more of a handful than it needed to be. <laughs> Uh, yes. No one, no one ever anticipates, isn't it? Like, I want to, I want to start a club. In, I don't want to order jerseys. That's completely. Well, we the, the thing is, like, we <laughs> we had it all sublimated through Icarus in here once. We had no issues, no issues. Well, we tried to save money. We saved four or five thousand dollars by by pressing them ourselves. Like, I have a heat press, and, and, and we did it ourselves. It's just the amount of time it takes to press all that stuff is. We actually had to deal with a local company. They were going to press it all for us. They actually moved right before the season. So that that they were had commercial presses and could have pressed it all in probably one day. They moved right before the season, so we got stuck on us. And so we had club members in my garage every couple of days just pressing numbers and names and stuff so we get the season in. So I think logistically, and what really that happens is when you're so small is you can't take those people who are pressing jerseys and say, hey, go market the club and try to get people in the door. So it really was a two-fold punch in the gut. So we're looking on that. We're also trying to make sure that we're more active on social. And I think those are things that we'll – help as we learn as we learn our lessons here as a as a year three club and wasn't year three is the the gear everyone looks out for because if you make it past year three you got a chance to survive and usually if club doesn't make it three years is, is is the average in the u.s which is crazy to me but trying to get past year three just very quickly touching on the league as well you are what's your official title or what are you in charge of with the league i'm a league board member and i work on the expansion committee things looking rosy from the league point of view it's shifting to the point where everyone's kind of calmed down from their summer seasons and have gone through their fall whatever high school soccer seasons and college seasons and now people are starting to all right what's next for my club next year so i think this will be more of the active phase we have a ton of interest forms we have had a club accepted to the league already which will be i'm sure coming out next whenever it is that they're they're wanting to be announced I think there's a lot of clubs that are eyeing what we did with the 2030 plan, um, how that's going to lay out and what that's going to look like. And we've made the decision as a, as a league as to what each conference basically grow and grow as it wants and kind of go into what the mindset is for each one is different than the others. Like in Missouri, for example, there's going to be six or seven clubs. We're not ready for tiers. We're not ready for anything like that. Our goal is to increase minimum standards so that every, every club has a great, has a great environment versus Michigan, where they're going to have 20 teams and, you know, they probably need to start having some more competitive balance where they have some of the top clubs playing each other and building up the game days. But I think that's going to spur some interest when those start actually happening is clubs are going to want to get in so they can get in at a level before they have to drop down a few levels to start in. Because I don't think any club wants to join at a tier three or a tier four. So I think that will spur some interest as we start officially announcing, hey, next year we're going to do this. This is the cutoff time. I think you're going to see a lot of shift. And I'm also interested from from a league standpoint is we don't really necessarily care what the national leagues are doing, but what how what some of the things they do impacts us and some of the clubs leaving or if clubs are unhappy or 
clubs that have uh, are doing well and are looking for a different challenge and you know trying to find what best fits for each area we're also trying to find ways of of getting clubs that are brand new a, a better chance of starting off instead of they don't have to play bavarians and adria and in the in the first three weeks they maybe can play some clubs that have also just started and they're not getting their butt kicked in so that they have a little bit more uh, they don't feel you know they don't feel out of it right as they start so. no it's good i the 2030 plan I was what I was watching the sort of the conversation unfold in various places, and I think you did a good job of reining it in. Like it's, it felt like people were running with it and going, "This is promotion relegation. This is great," and it, that clearly wasn't what it was about. Right? It's about play where you are ready to play and where you are able to play. And yes, you can twist that to pro rel, but I think it's more nuanced than that. Yeah, I think I think, and this is coming from a relative outsider from soccer. Like before 2019, I had no interest in not not say no interest, but no involvement in lower league soccer. And you come in from an outsider and say, "Why are you guys doing it this way? This makes no sense." But then learning some of the intricacies of running a club for three years, you you realize that each region is just so much different than the others, and each area within that region is different than the others. And it made no sense of setting a, a blanket plan. This is how everyone in this area region is going to do it. It just doesn't make sense. Like each each area has its own has its own uniqueness and letting each conference grow up on its own letting it have its have its way and how it's do things having some similarities between all of the regional conferences from a from a standard standpoint but allowing each region or each conference to to grow up implement its own tier system at the way it wants to do it really give itself some ownership and how it wants to grow it makes way more sense than just saying, "Hey, we're from Joe Schmo from Texas. I'm going to tell you people in Missouri how to how to run your conference." It just it doesn't make any sense. So it's for some re- some conferences, it's going to be fast. Yeah, I think in the, the Illinois and in in Michigan areas, you could you could easily have two or three tiers, and, and it makes sense from a competitive standpoint. In Missouri, it may take ten years before we have enough teams to get to that point. Let each conference grow as it on its own. Let each conference set its own its own markers and, and you know go from there and if there's enough interest the, the, the from a community standpoint it'll happen and if it doesn't it doesn't but i think it's the way to do things couldn't agree more couldn't agree more andrew in the interest of winding up any more or further questions no i think we touched on what i had here jotted down and i again it's good talking with zach in this forum it's been, it's been a minute since i had a chance to, to chat so it's really really good for me yeah and yeah like i was uh, saying that uh, we uh, say our founders Founders Club after before before every AFC game, and his name gets put up. So I got to make sure that his his name is on the list every time, and <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I think for people that are trying to start clubs, there's there's podcasts, reading the blobs from Minneapolis City, uh, reading Andy's Andy's manifestos. You want to call it Andy? I don't know what you want to call it. And then Kingston, like I think there's a lot of knowledge out there that people could use to really grow their clubs without having to learn mistakes. I think we avoided a lot of mistakes by you know, listening to podcasts, listening to you guys talk, you know, reading all these things. I think people just do, do the research before they just say, "Hey, let's let's start a soccer club in my hometown." I think I think you can learn a lot of lessons and, and do things. I think I think we're just here learning from those people that came for us, and hopefully people listening to this podcast will be like well that's a great idea and they take one thing from this idea then we've done our job and pass it along to someone else now the time has come for leaving fear now we shall return we were so glad we could make it but so sad we gotta run well it might be a long time till we raise another glass you can rest assured that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh